the show that goes there. This is the Shaggy Jenkins Show on the Pacifica Radio Network. It's the Shaggy Jenkins Show on the Pacifica Radio Network. Welcome to another fine edition of the Weekend Review where we have got the government falling apart. We have got a tradition broken since the very first president and a whole lot more to talk about other than that. Uh, before we get to all of that, uh, hi, welcome to my show. You're probably wondering what you're listening to. No, don't. Uh, my name is Shaggy Jenkins. I'm a critical thinker, a problem solver, a guy just left of normal insane, but somebody always centered in common sense and found on the website at shaggyjenkins.com. Uh, joining me from the windy city of Chicago, he is a radio professional, the information base himself. Please welcome the very saintly Chris Base. You have overcome, for I am here. How you doing, my brother? How's everything? Oh, boy, today I feel like we are running downhill straight past the spiral into the gates of hell. Um, is there any other way to describe this week in news? No, it's not. It's like you always heard different levels of hell. Every time it comes to this president, we're seeing different levels of hell. Yeah, and before we get to the latest with, you know, Pelosi and the, the, the State of the Union address, I kind of want to go through some territory that me and you cover quite a lot. Um, when it comes to the president's picks in defense lawyers, Rudy Giuliani has very much been a mouthpiece, and that's what the president wanted. However, Chris, let's just throw it out there. Is he actually an effective, good mouthpiece for the president? No, he isn't. No, and, and Rudy Giuliani has not practiced law probably since the 1980s. So he's way out of practice. And he's been mayor, and we all know what happened when he tried to run for the presidency. So he's been out of the limelight for a lot of years, you know, since his uh, failed bid for the presidency those years back. So I think in a, lot of, in a roundabout way, he, it would have been nice had he brushed up uh, got himself a little more seasoning to get back into the fray because a whole new different world than when he was before when he ran for the presidency to where he is now. And it's a failed representation because everywhere he goes, whether it's uh, Cyber Inc. or on cable, or on television, he's putting his foot into his mouth, not only one foot, but two feet into his mouth every time he speaks. Oh, God. No, that's just it because... Okay, it's typical for one of Trump's sycophants to jump on Fox News and make an ass of themselves. Let's just go ahead and say, par for course. But when it comes to what Rudy Giuliani does, especially when he goes on to CNN, and he has little flubs where he says, oh, I heard the tapes. I shouldn't have said the word tapes. Um, you got to kind of wonder... Behind the scenes, could a report that's coming out of like uh, Vanity Fair this week that shows Donald Trump uh, enraged, just angry so much at Giuliani that he's literally screaming at all the staffers about it? Well, there's an old adage, you know, sometimes you are the company you keep. You meet people or you surround yourself with people who are like-minded. And you can say what you want about the president. If they're on the same uh, wavelength, that's a bay, very bad wavelength to be a part of because when you have someone like Giuliani, who's supposed to be the mouthpiece lawyer-wise for the president, it just keeps getting worse and worse. But this president puts himself in positions of getting worse and worse. 
So it was kind of like, okay, you kind of get what you pay for. You kind of get what you deserve. Can we go ahead and say that I think right now at this point, Giuliani and Trump are in an open race to see who can get Trump convicted the fastest? You know what? It's the close one and one A. You know, sometimes you watch those marathons where people come in and tie when they break the tape. Yeah, they're about to break the tape. Oh, Lord, yes. Because, look, here's the thing. Giuliani has basically came out and said within the last couple of weeks, um, the president didn't do nothing. The president kind of did something, but not as bad as somebody else. Oh, no, I take that back. Everybody else did something. The president did nothing again, and I've heard the tapes to prove it. Oh, I shouldn't have said tapes. Um, I mean, at what point? Because, you know... Donald Trump had a, 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 a cute little nickname for his former uh, attorney general. Uh, he called Jeff Sessions Mr. Magoo. At what point does Rudy Giuliani actually embody all that Magoo was? First of all, that's an insult to Jim Backus and Mr. Magoo. I love Mr. Magoo. I don't have any love for Rudy Giuliani, but I get your point. Um, it's different when you're absent-minded for your own absent-minded sake. Representation of somebody, that's a whole different category, a whole different mindset, or the little mind you have left, or whatever one you can remember about. So when you are representing the president of, of, of all people, and everything you say, you're living in a world of fact-checking. Not like the good old days where you just say stuff and go over people's heads and nobody says anything. This is the era of fact-checking. So everything you say, you will be scrutinized, held your feet to the fire. The same two feet he put his mouth in. So having said all that, he doesn't realize that the bloodbath you put yourself into by not having your facts straight. Well, this is one of the things, because Giuliani was uh, famously called America's mayor for a while in the aftermath of the 9-11 tragedy. And we didn't have as prevalent as social media at that time. We didn't have as prevalent 24-7 coverage at that time. I I gotta kind of ask you, is there a chance that Giuliani's always kind of been off kilter and we're just now noticing? Probably so. I mean, look at it from this perspective. When he was, you know, America's mayor during 9-11, he was scripted. He had speechwriters. So he was on script or on teleprompter. So he sounded great when you catch him in bite-sized dosages. But now, off the cuff, off script, He's probably always been a buffoon. We're just late to the party about it. That's all. Yeah. Oh, God. The, the, the thing is, is the buffoonery that he has put forth in Donald Trump's defense. I mean, come on. At this point, the only thing he hasn't done is go in front of cameras and said, yes, the president did 100% of everything that you've accused him of, and we don't care. That's literally the only thing that he has not done at this point. Well, he might as well, but let's look at this perspective too, Shaggy. Say, for example, he gets wind of what Robert Mueller is coming down the pike with. And I'm sure people in those type of circles uh, get information from some other resources. And so he probably knows what's happening, knows what's coming down in the next couple of weeks, the next couple of months. We don't know, but I think he's privy to some information. And he's probably, whatever conscience Rudy Giuliani has left, cannot defend the president all the way. If he knows that uh, that two plus two is four and not 87, but you look at how everything is about to be coming down the pike again with Paul Manafort, the recent situation with uh, Michael Cohen, 
everything is getting the ducks in a row, and he knows that, how can you say in good conscience to defend a person who's all the way guilty? Yeah, because when we talk about all the way guilt and kind of partway guilt and well, there's been some interesting stories this week that haven't involved Donald Trump. And and I kind of want to, because we have got so many stories to run through, I would be remiss if I did not bring up the controversy this week over a bunch of cracker students in those red hats and a confrontation with a Native American Vietnam vet. Here's the thing, Chris... Larger video has been released of these boys being inundated with insults and and all kinds of stuff from a a group that was known as the Black Hebrews. Uh, Question, given the context of everything that we saw passed out through the news, is this A, still a case of boys being kind of eh, or B, a, a case of mainstream media only finding the story it wanted to this week? I would probably go with, again, a little bit of both, but I have to lean more towards what the media wants to put out there. And sometimes the media gets it wrong. Uh, Sometimes the media does not do its due diligence as well as it should to have thorough examinations of certain stories and uh, cross-references of those stories and make sure you report the right thing. So it kind of almost falls into the category of fake news that 45 created all those months ago. But we look at the perspective of taking a part of a story and then elaborating on it, not getting the whole story, you're only getting part of a story that's manufactured. And the thing about, okay, we've seen the extended video of the black Israelites, the black Hebrews you just mentioned, and things of that nature. But my question becomes when I watched this whole thing with the Covington Catholic high schoolers was, where were the adults? Where were they in the middle of all this? Yeah, because that is something that we had brought up on this show the the two times this week that we had covered it, both the original story when, hey, everything looked bad for the students, and then, then the expanded story. We kept asking time and time again, where were the adults? Now, here's the thing, Chris. In the video, the chaperones actually kind of encouraged the boys to engage in a school chant. And that's where we see one of the students tear his shirt off like he is from, I don't know, Petey Pablo's crew in North Kakalaka. Um, he takes his shirt off and whips it round his head like a helicopter. And at that point, I'm wondering why the adults didn't step back in and say, hey, you know, chanting and everything for school spirit to drown these guys out is okay, but B... Whipping off your shirt and throwing it around your head and stuff, jumping around like you are, would be seen as, and I don't care what side of the story you're on, antagonistic. A- have I missed any points of so uh, so far? No, you haven't. And the adults, quote-unquote, should be ashamed of themselves for stirring up that type of behavior. So we all know how teenagers are when you put them in an environment where they're outside the environment of the high school. They're on a field trip, obviously. They've never been to this place before, you know, they're in D.C. on the steps. And you have these so-called adults encouraging this rabble-rousing, encouraging this behavior. So they get the okay from them, so it's okay to behave in a very uh, ugly manner. But then also, why must all these kids have these Make America Great Again caps on? What was the, what was the spirit behind that? 
yeah, because this is the thing that I I wanted to bring up. It's like as long as we're talking about the school and them trying to elicit some sort of a spirit, some school spirit in the face of opposition, where the hell did all of those "Make America Great Again" hats come from? Exactly, it, it had to be obviously from the people, from the so-called adults. I call them so-called adults because a, a real adult in their right mind, his or her, would not be trying to. Of force their own views on children. They're mighty, they're still children, they're teenagers, but they're still children nonetheless. And they're very impressionable. And again, being outside of the environment and on a field trip, you want to get buck loose, you want to get wild and everything else. But when the so-called adult says, okay, get buck wild, but get buck wild with purpose. Take this MAGA hat, cap, put it on, and then we're going to put our personal views upon you, so that way the owner's not on us, it's on you, the children, being spirited and team spirit, and disguised as such. The thing that really gets you, though, is not just where the adults were and what the hell were the adults thinking. You also got to kind of ask yourself, how do stories like this occur? Now, this is what I want to kind of talk about, because here's the thing. The media jumped on the initial footage that was uploaded by uh, Kaya Taitani. Okay, now that's a name for you, but but Kaya uploaded the video. Oh, which, by the way, I think it got Kaya's account banned for uploading the video. It did. did. Yes, it did. Okay, but Kaya uploaded this video, and then... It kind of, within 24 hours, got almost 200,000 views. And that's where the mainstream media jumped on the story. Now, Chris, when it comes to media responsibility, is this, once again, a question of the, the, the guys in charge, us journalists, not properly vetting something Instead, sending it to air because <gasps> this is so sensational, it has to get to air now. From the pressure of certain media outlets, let's say, for example, just the basics of CBS, NBC, and ABC, use those three networks, for example. The pressure to succeed is tremendous. Trying to be number one, trying to be first. And the pressure now is exceeded with the, uh, social media and metrics. So I think to a lot of degrees, that it doesn't matter because we always recant and always apologize. Let's see what story gets out first. And that, my friend, is irresponsible journalism and broadcasting. Well, this is the thing, because the, the, the evolution of this story took on just a very minute timeline. I mean, Chris, within four hours of this thing going live online, it was already starting to be disseminated through the television networks. And one of the things that I got to ask you is, because I really haven't heard too much of this, is, Chris, do you feel like the media did a good job of going back and saying, oops, we might have messed it up? It could have been cleaned up better from where I sit. I, I thought that it was, let's jump on it first and apologize later, like I said earlier, and with that comes responsibility. You and I are both comic book geeks and movies when it comes to superheroes. Uh, Tony McGuire's version of Spider-Man, uh, with Uncle Ben telling him, with great power comes great responsibility. That goes across the board in life in general. And the same thing with the media. But I think nowadays, because it's, it's not only ratings, 
it's, up, it's about social media, obviously. So no matter how many hits we get, if we take that same video, say we're ABC, not to pick on ABC, but it is, for example, and put it on our site and have those hits come towards us as well, it's also showing what kind of people are looking at it, what kind of demographics, what kind of cereal they, they possibly eat, all these metrics and algorithms that that's what it's about. So that becomes first and foremost. But do you trade in integrity for numbers? And I think that happens to be true in this case. Now, the thing is, is because uh, I love messing with my correspondents on this show, is I actually brought up a South Park skit called Trevor's Axiom. Do you remember that when it came to the whole troll trace and online trolling that led to Donald Trump being president? Episodes no, were... no, I missed that one. Oh, okay. Well, here's here's the deal. Um, in an episode of South Park, not too long ago, they talked about Trevor's Axiom. And, and Trevor's Axiom is actually an example of something called Hegelian, I think I'm saying that right, Hegelian dialectic. Okay, now what this is, is it's a way of creating controversy by attacking one group and hoping that it actually elicits a reaction from a completely different group. Chris, this story, as far as it was posed online, should, at least to people that are <clears throat> learned, uh, it should have appeared as one of those little clickbaity or this is going to rile up emotion stories versus mm, this is a very pressing thing that I have to go to print with now because it affects the national climate. This It seemed more of an emotional piece, and because of the emotional context of this piece, news media was more likely to jump on it, weren't they? Yes, absolutely, because it's the temperature of the world right now in America as we see it. So in our universe, that's what's happening when it comes to uh, race relations on the high and, once again, the president doing what he does when it comes to uh, white supremacy and white nationalism and uh, Representative Stephen King. So all these current situations that go on and on and on are in our psyche, in the forefront of what we see, continues on. Case in point, uh, we just had the recent Academy Award nomination. Uh, one of them is for the movie Green Book. Now, Green Book is based upon, I remember my grandparents telling me this, you had a book, uh, whether it was green or different colors, but in this situation, a green book, where you as a black person or person of color knew where to go to state by state, city by city, where it catered to people of color. Because if you went to the white side of town, you would probably get killed or lynched or, or leave an inch of your life. So you went to safe havens, which were catering to black folk, so that way you stay safe. You know, and because coming up in the second part of the show, we have definitely got to talk about a very special uh, celebration that happened this week for Martin Luther King Jr. And, and when we bring up his name in the second half, I'm, I'm pretty sure that he'll probably go, leave me alone, y'all heathens done forgot my message. Um, <clears throat> however, this story of the MAGA hat and how it got manufactured this week through a selective kind of editing mirrors what the president has done in another important story this week when it comes to transgenders in the military. Now, here's how it goes. Not too long ago, Donald Trump, eh, through some 
or uh, sort of machination. Uh, I think he posted it to Twitter first, and then his aides actually went back and wrote the executive act for him, and he signed it. But long story short, there was an executive order signed that said, let's ban all transgendered members from armed services. Now, a lot of people raised a lot of stink about this story. But then it went away because of all the other stuff happening around Donald Trump. And this week, the Supreme Court upheld that ban. Chris, is this the Republicans getting their way? Or is this the rest of the country just falling asleep at the wheel with this? I'd probably say falling asleep. And the reason why I say that is because just stating the obvious when it comes to, I guess, whatever your definition of obvious is, that it shouldn't matter what a person's sex is or transgender doesn't matter. If they want to serve this country, if they love this country and want to be a part of it from a military perspective, let them do it. The president has a very unique talent to separate and alienate everybody. It's not just, not just black folk or black to white or whatever race is, whatever, or whatever sex. It's everybody. He has, probably has a list, if he has one, and itemizing it with a line across from it saying that this has to go, that has to go, that has to go. Because it, you would think, once, let me say this up front. I've never in my lifetime seen a news cycle where the president is in every day of the news cycle, every day about something. Yes. That alone should give you pause. Yeah, because when we talk about all of the stuff that he has not taken a pause on, he's kind of gone down the religious rights, bill-acting kind of way. He's went against gays. He's went against the mm. entire LGBTQ community. Then he goes mm. against women. He goes against minorities. And then he circles back around and makes sure that we double whammy the transgenders. Uh, Chris, with all of the stuff that the president does... Is it any surprise that, you know, not only this week do we find out the Supreme Court kind of heavily goes whichever way the Republicans want to, thank you, Brett Kavanaugh, but we also found uh -huh. out that Mitch McConnell behind the scenes of all of this government shutdown is still approving judicial nominees. So when it comes to actually seeking a, a kind of a rollback to this, the fight for transgender to get back into armed services is going to be a lot harder than it was getting kicked out, isn't it? It is, and that's by design to make it 10 times harder for people who are transgender to go be a part, represent their country through the military. Now, you would think that sex and transgender of anything to the side, you would think that someone who wants to represent their country in this way should be commended, should be honored. Should be, it should be a privilege to welcome that person in and let them train and do their job effectively. But again, when you itemize, when you separate, when you constantly are the great divider in what President Trump has, has done and continues to do, then that seems to be O'Brien's mandate because he finds all these different ways to do it. Now, some people can say it could be it's trying to find ways of getting onus off of him when it comes to Robert Mueller case. Everybody has their theories or conspiracy theories. But this is very important because when you start to do that, you're not that far away from saying, okay, then, 
then we I know it's a stretch, but you're not that far away from okay, let's limit having females in the military. Let's limit when it comes to people of color in the military. Now we've have broken strides to get to where we are right now as a people, but he's finding ways to send everybody back to the Stone Age. The thing is, though, is that we were kind of warned about all of this a long time ago when Mike Pence had a conservative talk radio show. Remember, he had this whole thing about not understanding that Mulan was a cartoon and wasn't based in fact. But then he goes on to talk about how he doesn't like gays in the military, he doesn't like transgenders in the military, and by God, women shouldn't serve in the front lines either. Um, this is the thing. Back in World War II, there was a little bit of an adage that said, first they came for the Jews, then they came for the communists, and finally they came for me and there was no one to help. Um, look, is the transgender ban, honestly, in your opinion, the first opening salvo to banning even more people from serving? Of course, because you need one as the example. So if someone says, let's start to ban the transgender, and that's being approved by Supreme Court, which is why we see the reason we said before about the pushing of uh, then-nominee Brett Kavanaugh, so he could be in place to help Trump with these certain agendas being pushed through the Supreme Court. When you look at that perspective, these people are in place, meaning people that are still a part of Trump's agenda, Republican agenda. I think there's a difference between Trump's agenda and the uh, Republican conservative agenda. I think there's two different things. It gets lost in the crossfire because all part of the same party, but I think there's two different fractions. When you look at the perspective of how the president, again, finds way to divide and conquer, it's not good for anybody involved because you may know somebody in your family, friends, who are transgender, of course, who are gay or lesbian or whatever. It's a matter of time if you use it as an example to say, this is what you do if you're not, and I'm being racist here, a white straight male in this country. If you're not that, then you're definitely out in the other categories as well. You see, you need that as an example to scare off everybody else. It does sound kind of sinister. Hey. We've got to take a sinister little break here from all this information. When we get back, we've got to talk about Michael Cohen, the State of the Union Address, Martin Luther King Jr., and more. It is the Week in Review right here on the Shaggy Jenkins Show. Stay tuned. You are listening to 60 Second Civics from the Center for Civic Education. I'm Mark Gage. Attention to landmark cases in which Supreme Court decisions have resulted in the protection of rights of minorities often has overshadowed the role of Congress and the active engagement of citizens in the political process. Brown v. Board of Education is an example of such a case. Congress drafted the Bill of Rights and all the subsequent amendments that protect individual rights and extend rights to those deprived of them in the past. Congress also has passed landmark legislation that not only has given support to these amendments, 
but also has established rights not explicitly contained in the amendments. The results have been significant changes in American life. Landmark legislation significantly changes public policy or the relationship between the national government and the states. Another example is the National Labor Relations Act of 1935 that protects the rights of workers to form and join labor unions. When the amendments to the Constitution have not been sufficient to protect individual rights, Congress has passed facilitating legislation. For example, there have been nearly 20 major civil rights acts since the ratification of the 13th Amendment in 1865. The passage of such legislation is a result of using democratic political processes made possible by our Constitution. Members of government have used these processes, as have private citizens, many affiliated with interest groups and movements. The abolition movement and the women's suffrage movement are examples. Thank you for listening to today's podcast, 60 Second Civics, where civic engagement only takes a minute. Warning, too much consumption of the Shaggy Jenkins Show could result in a higher IQ, a better understanding of the world, and not being called a f***ing idiot as much. It's the Shaggy Jenkins Show. It's the Shaggy Jenkins Show on the Pacifica Radio Network. Welcome back. No matter where you're listening to us, whether it's online, whether it's on the radio, or through your handy-dandy podcasting apparatus, uh, welcome back. If you've missed any part of this show, uh, just go and find it at ShaggyJenkins.com or follow us wherever fine social media is served at Shaggy Live. Joining me from the windy city of Chicago where... I checked the weather report today, and it is substantially colder there than it is here in the lovely home of this show in Maui, uh, beautiful isle in Hawaii. Please welcome back the man that is a saint for putting up with all that coldness, ladies and gentlemen, Chris Bass. Oh, man, thank you. Just for the glutton for punishment, what's the temperature there in Maui? Uh, Currently right now, it is 78 degrees and sunny. You know what? I would put somebody. Oh boy, that's that's so bad that it it, it cut his connection out. Oh well, as long as we're waiting for Chris to get back. Uh, here's the thing. Um, look, uh, we have been talking a little bit this week, uh, just about how the weather in D.C. is going, and and one of the weather, you know, <clears throat> the weather or not it is working kind of things is the government itself. Um, The reason why is because when we talk about the government, this week we have seen a very big, um, dare I say, squandering, a a fighting as it were. Chris, uh, are you back with us? Uh, Yes, I am. Okay, yeah, we're having a little bit of difficulty and it's only given us the audio, but... as as we okay. T- okay, but as we're talking here, I kind of want to bring up this. This week was petty above petty, and when I say petty above petty, I I, I mean Nancy Pelosi and Donald Trump. Um, care uh-huh. to walk us through the fight this week so far? Well, pretty much, uh, the president was going back and forth with these letters with uh, House Speaker Pelosi about. The State of the Union uh, having being um, coming up on Tuesday, January 29th, and the Speaker was saying that well, no, uh, because of the furloughed and the 
employees here, the government. It's almost like a security risk for you to be here. That was some of the original uh, comments and statements that we've read about, and we're going to postpone it for another time. So, of course, the president's not going to, you know, kowtow to that. So there has an exchange of, of letters back and forth to the point where Nancy Pelosi said, well, tell you what, we're going to cancel it, and the State Union address would not be on the House floor at all. So that's where we are right now when it comes to the stalemate between both parties. Yeah, because, look, let's just face facts. This stalemate is going to result in the State of the Union address not being given to the House of Representatives on the House floor for the first time since 1790. And the president that delivered that speech was George Washington. I don't even know what kind of through-the-looking-glass weirdness we are when the Speaker of the House disinvites the President, for the first time in our country's history, ever, not to deliver the State of the Union address. Now, as far as the government shutdown and everything, is this about that, or is this more about posturing between Trump and Pelosi? I think what we're looking at, Shaggy, is a whole different amount of circumstances. What I mean by that is, look, for example, the president. We've never seen anything like this, depending on what side of the aisle or what kind of lens you have. We've never seen the president who doesn't believe in a line to cross or an envelope that you can't push. He destroys the envelope and crosses said lines. So do you fight back fire with fire? And it seems as though he's met his match currently when it comes to House Speaker Pelosi. I think that he's not used to anybody fighting back towards him in any way, shape, or form. I think he's used to getting his way. Uh, thus, again, we've seen his reaction of him hold, you know, folding his arms and pouting, as the man-child usually does. But when someone actually goes toe-to-toe with him, he, he can't take it. He, he rather cuts and runs or finds ways to talk about that person. Uh, using uh, name-calling and things of that nature. So it's it's because he's done uncharacteristic things, uh, him being the president, now we have to fight back uh, from the standpoint, I guess, these uh, Democrats are doing with non-traditional ways of trying to work with the president. We've seen, now once again, we saw what happened back in December when House Speaker Pelosi and Majority Leader uh, Chuck Schumer tried to reason with the president one of the uh, situations they had on the table was a bipartisanship deal to make sure the shutdown wouldn't happen. So we all heard over uh, time that he, he will own the shutdown. He takes the shutdown as a, a badge of honor. And look where we are now. So you have to fight fire with fire in this situation. It's a damn shame that we don't get to see it. That doesn't mean he'll, he won't have it at the, uh, at the floor of the house. You know, he'll just go somewhere else. Yeah, and that's the thing, because, see, Republicans are going to kind of use this as a little bit of a, hmm, let's make a message. The State of the Union, typically, Chris, Mm. would you agree, is actually to talk about the State of the Union of us, right? Correct, yes. It's kind of like going in once a year, and, and I really wish I could do this because it would make my life so much simpler. I really wish once a year I could go in, look at my wife and my daughter, and be like, I just want to let you guys know everything is cool. 
We've got a spending plan this year. We're going to budget for some extra trips. And uh, I do not want to talk to you for 364 more days. Goodbye. I, you know how much like easier that would make my life and, and a lot of other fathers' oh. lives. But what I'm yes. saying is, is this isn't that big of a duty to do. And yet... In every little thing between Pelosi and Trump, this tiny thing of the State of the Union is actually turning into yet another elevated fight. But now that we've disinvited the President of the United States to the floor of the House of Representatives, the Republican plan shouldn't surprise you. Chris, they want to take it and make this speech from either A, the Senate, which they can't do, they cannot do that. Or B, they want to do it from a undisclosed location somewhere along the southern border. Now, no matter how you stack it, Donald Trump has broken the state of the union. Is that a fair statement to make? Yes, I, I would say so. I, I would say that. And because here's the thing about what I think House Speaker Pelosi is doing. You have to attack a person where they live. He loves the limelight. Once again, I believe he still thinks he's on television. He thinks himself as a reality star. He's still the apprentice uh, star of the program. And so if you take away his spotlight, his platform, he loves being on television, then you kind of mess with his psyche a little bit. Because the State of the Union for him is not the State of the Union. It's him just being him with a big platform, everybody applauding him, adoration and you love me you really really love me a la sally field type of situation but it's more let's say sinister as you said earlier in the conversation i'll go along with that but again if you can use it to your advantage meaning what trump you said about the republicans and go to undisclosed location probably do it from a border wall to further galvanize his point yeah he'll take advantage of that because it's pomp and circumstance for him yeah this is the thing because even if Donald Trump will not speak on the House floor coming up very soon, oh, Donald Trump's friends are definitely coming to the House of Representatives. Now, we have covered uh, how some of the new freshmen have found themselves on the Oversight Committee, AOC, anyone. Uh, but there's been kind of this interesting little February 7th hearing. And when I say interesting little, it's not little, but oh my God, is it interesting. Michael Cohen, the president's fixer, is about to come to the House of Representatives. And I'm just going to throw this out here, Chris. Because of the way that Donald Trump operates, are they actually, Pelosi, Schumer, and all of them, are they actually just saying, you know what, we'll get the real State of the Union from Cohen on the 7th. You can just pump your brakes for now. I'll go along with that. Because that, to me, makes a little more sense. Again, it's chipping away at the so-called Teflon Don mentality. So someone like a Michael Cohen, who is supposed to uh, testify on February 7th, but we, we learn now that it's going to be postponed because of what we find out about uh, threats to his family, uh, it will, I think we have a more galvanizing sound and be heard much stronger than State of Union Address of Trump pontificating about the great things he's done and grandstanding. Don't get me wrong, presidents do that over the years, 
But with him, I think he just revel he revels in it. He loves it. He bathes in it. I mean, he he's in his great element when he's off teleprompter Trump. And so if you had to pick between the State of Union address with Trump or the testimony of one Michael Cohen, I would go with Cohen. Oh, yeah. And this is the thing. When it comes to what Cohen could possibly say, let's not forget that in the first segment of the show, we were talking about Rudy Giuliani. And Rudy Giuliani mm -hmm. has walked back a couple of dozen times uh, the actions that the president and people around the president have done, maybe have done, maybe he didn't do, maybe they didn't do it that way, maybe everybody did it but Donald Trump. And maybe I, Rudy Giuliani, am in fact Vladimir Putin. I don't know anymore. But with the way that the convoluted defense and stuff has come out, the House questioning Michael Cohen. Chris, will there actually be some sort of enlightenment to all of this confusion that keeps coming out of this case? I think it will. I think, I think Robert Mueller is doing a, a very methodical job at keeping certain things at bay and getting the facts straight, like we saw the whole BuzzFeed story that came out recently about uh, Cohen and things like that, where you know you want to make sure that these are facts and it doesn't get into the fray of his investigation. So you you have to deal a, deal with it from that perspective, which I admire the Cohen uh, investigation team on. So having said all that, you you want everything to be straight because. When these indictments, when these, all these infractions come forward, you have to be on point. Miles and miles of research, miles and miles of paperwork that's going to come forward. You want to make sure every T is crossed and every I dotted. So you have to check and recheck and cross-reference and recheck again. You know, it's just tedious, but it will be worth it once everything comes down to the pike. And I say this again, they know it's coming. Meaning Trump and his cohorts, they know it's coming. It's just a matter of when. Yeah, because this is the thing. Mueller's investigation team did come out not too long ago and kind of react over the weekend to a BuzzFeed story. And everybody this mm -hmm. week was kind of talking about it at the beginning of the week. But here's the interesting story that's coming out at the end of the week. Chris, do you think that, you know, a appointee to the attorney general, the AG, Matt Whitaker, had something to do with Mueller's statement and the BuzzFeed story? I would probably say yes to a degree because, again, when sources are trying to protect the president, where they're trying to keep everybody at bay and trying to give everybody the Heisman Trophy stiff arm to stay away, but the inevitable is going to happen. It's going to happen once again, just a matter of when. When you're dealing with this type of... Um, investigation we probably never seen the likes before probably knows probably not since nixon in his era and beyond that all this unprecedented on this is all this uncharted territory so you have to have time and patience once the time and patience has got to an effect got to an end and we call upon uh the Mueller investigation team robert Mueller coming forward to the media to the press and lay out all these itemized situations about president trump we will see nothing like this ever in our history of, of someone who was pretty much beyond dirty before he became president-elect and president. Yeah, because, I mean, as long as we're talking about all the dirty going-ons around Cohen and Trump and everything, which, by the way, 
I wouldn't put it past Donald Trump to have somebody actually set up to do all of these threats. We've seen it before with Stormy Daniels. She wanted to come forward. Karen McDougal, she wanted to come forward. All of a sudden, little accounts of scary, menacing people around. The Teflon Don, as it was, does kind of work and operate like a little bit of John Gotti, if we're being honest. However, the thing is, is that Cohen knows that he's about to go to jail big time for some things that he did for the president, which were big time wrong. What could the House possibly gain from a guy that's already given over his cooperation to the special counsel and is being sentenced for the stuff that he's admitted to doing? Because they have to shine uh, a light on the president to show that he's been, as ACDC once said, uh, doing dirty deeds done dirt cheap. And they have to put this onus on him to, once again, speculation innuendo is one thing. Fact is altogether different. So when you have fact upon what Trump has done over the years, once again, his main, as they call him, fixer, Michael Cohen, quote, unquote, knowing where all the bodies are buried at, and he's going to come forward again, uh, Cohen's going to serve three years sentencing uh, beginning on March 6th. And he might get out with good behavior, depending on the year, probably maybe half of that, maybe a a year and a half, depending on how that goes. Mm -hmm. And maybe he'll do the rest uh, back home or a neutral place. But the fact that he's going to come forward, and also dealing with the uh, House Oversight Committee chairman, who is uh, Elijah Cummings, of Minnesota, uh, not Minnesota, but of Maryland, is to send a message, because now they're saying that let's go, let's go back, let's back up for a second, because uh, it's Cohen who wants to postpone the testimony for February seventh, because he claims there are threats against his family, his wife and father-in-law in particular, from Trump and Giuliani. Going back to what you said about the whole def- Teflon Don mentality, mm-hmm. so they have to get that taken care of, to make sure his family is protected, and then. He'll come back for a future date to uh, spill the spill the beans of what beans he could spill. Again, is to stack evidence that this president is very shady, has done everything he could to mismanage funds or to use his money, or going back to whole 2016 uh, election being tampered with. So all this is vitally important because now speculation will become fact. You know, when we talk about speculation and stuff, a lot of people since Donald Trump took office have speculated what the country would be like with a different president. And with some 600-something days, I'm not going to be as advanced as other shows and have a countdown going or anything, but with, 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 you know, a little bit of time up ahead of the 2020 race, Chris, i got to ask, with all of this stuff coming out uh, uh, against the president and all of the stuff that is, is embroiled investigation behind the president, will we actually care when his time is up? Because his time might be up any day now. What do you call the odds of him resigning this year with all the political pressure? No, he'll never resign. His ego won't allow him to. He has to be forced out. And... Because, okay, if you talk about going back to Rudy Giuliani being his legal representation, uh, even if even if he listened to Rudy or because some of his insiders said, you know, get dumped, Rudy, and get somebody else to uh, represent you, even if they told him, uh, with all due respect, Mr. President, you probably need to step down 
for A, B, and C reasons, he wouldn't do it. He would not do it. He would have to be out kicking and screaming, forced out of office. So I don't see him stepping down anytime soon. Well, a lot of people are speculating what a different president could be. And one of the guys that was heavily speculated that could have been a president way back in 2016, that was like 20 years ago if you're living in news cycles, uh, but one of the guys that was, was up there was one Bernie Sanders. And this week, uh, Bernie Sanders gave a very fiery speech at a gathering in Columbia, South Carolina. Chris, how much do you know of that speech? Not much. I mean, I've been into other things. I've heard speculation of it. Fill me in. Once I hear it, I've read so much, I'll probably get back into the swing of things. So uh, I'll leave it up to you, and I'll just follow your lead. Okay, okay, because here's the thing. Um, At an MLK Day rally in Columbia, South Carolina, which, by the way, if you're keeping score, is one of the first states that starts to vote in the primaries for the Democratic nominee for president. So... Kind of a big deal that they went there. Kind of a big deal. However, um, during the speech, we had, uh, uh, of course, a couple of other representatives give uh, the middle of the road, the I had a dream, the coming together, all of the, the, the nice and fluffy stuff about MLK Jr. But Bernie Sanders lived up to the name Bern because when he got up to the podium, he says, I hate to tell you, the president... Is racist. We live in a country okay. with a racist president. Go for it, Chris, because that's the part that I was yeah. like, wow. Yeah, I remember that now. Yeah, he was right. Uh, when you go back to Charlottesville, Virginia, that's when, as far as I was concerned, the tipping of the iceberg when he said about there was wrong on both sides, which is now a, a very infamous statement that he said. To me, that says to me, oh, you don't give two dams about anybody. You're going to try to cover this up as though um, there was wrong on both sides when it's not. Again, we had the conversation before in your program, Shaggy. When someone takes a billy club and goes upside your cranium, goes upside your head, as a gap band once said back in the day, mm-hmm. oops upside your head. It's not your fault your head's in the way. The person who is swinging the said Billy Club at your head, they're the ones at fault, not you. And if you protect yourself, you're protecting yourself because who else is going to do it for you but you? So I don't like it when people take the obvious and try to spit it like the president did about what's wrong on both sides. No, one was antagonistic, one was protagonistic. And when a person is trying to protect themselves, that's not wrong. That's trying to, oh, I don't know, protect myself so I won't die or go to the hospital for serious injuries. No, you have to put the onus again on what's, on who's doing the most wrong. Yeah, and when it came to a lot of the encounters that have been in the news as of late, it is very clearly easy to tell who was doing the wrong. It's the white people. Okay, so if you don't, if you're not Captain Obvious here, Bernie Sanders' speech brought up some pretty good points. And Chris, this is one of the things that I really liked because not only did he absolutely do something that I wish, especially when it comes to uh, people that uh, people of colors, the POC uh, senators and representatives, 
Bernie Sanders did the one thing that I wish more people would do, and they called Donald, he called Donald Trump a racist. Not, uh, he's good on both sides of race, not he might like white people a little bit more, maybe not he's, oh no, he's racist. And that's something that Bernie Sanders was really good about during the time that he was running, is his messaging. He did say, uh-oh, hang on a sec, he did say that we, uh, we have this problem in this country where equality of wealth and everything just isn't really what it's cracked up to be. Now, Bernie Sanders, though, I, I this is the thing. Bernie Sanders' speech was lovely, but he did something else, too. Martin Luther King always had this kind of uh, backlash, as it were, against poverty. He wanted to fight the war on wage inequality and gender inequality. So when it comes to who gave speeches that day, was Bernie Sanders being just Bernie or was Bernie actually embracing a little MLK Jr.? Well, knowing Bernie from just me as a spectator, I would say he was probably in the embodiment and the spirit of a Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. for that particular time. I think that when you look at See, people have to understand something, too, I'm about to say. Over the years, the media, and not just the media, but a PR perspective, had kind of watered down King. And what I mean by that is we all know about the I Have a Dream speech. That's what he's most famous for. But people over the, well, not the people, but uh, companies over the years have embraced that side of King because it's marketable, it's peaceful, it's nonviolent, it's uh, non-threatening. You go back and check out King's other speeches, like, you know, I've been to the mountaintop, uh, drum major for justice, for example. Those were very powerful, radical speeches. It wasn't until Dr. King talked about the Vietnam War, when he talked about minimum wage, that it didn't affect black folk. It affected all folk from coast to coast. That's when, in my opinion, became dangerous. But he was very radical in his uh, a lot of his speeches, a lot of his approaches, this is the same person who's on record with meeting with the Honorable Elijah Muhammad. Of course, no uh, Malcolm X's former mentor. And I think that King was the embodiment of a lot of different mindsets, not just the nonviolent. I think he also gravitated towards others to hope to also to prove his point. And again, to be taken out, to be assassinated at age 39. Him and Malcolm X were assassinated at age 39. That's young. That's incredibly young. But they had so much wisdom and so much forthright in what they were doing. They had these old, ancient souls, is what I call them. And Dr. King, since he celebrated the observance of his birthday, had just that. Here's a guy, a young man, who got into Morehouse College. He was 15 years old, um, got his bachelor's at, what, 20, and then got his doctorate at 26. So he pretty much was on his way to becoming who he did because of having 39 years, you got to start the ball rolling from somewhere, which is why I think his education was vitally important. Yeah, because this is the thing. As long as we're going to get educated on Martin Luther King Jr., Mike Pence tried to say that all Donald Trump is doing is living up to the promise of MLK and that democracy is allowed to do its thing. But when we we looked into the archives this week, and thank you, mainstream media, for finding the clip of 1967 Martin Luther King visiting the Berlin Wall. 
Chris, would mm -hmm. Dr. King, and we only got like 30 seconds here, but would Dr. King sure. actually agree with Donald Trump's policies? Nope. And hell nope. Uh, it was no way in the world that the philosophies of Dr. King, which also drew upon uh, Mahatma Gandhi in his approach, would not jive, would not go with, would not be on the same page as what Trump is doing right now. Dang, man. Well, I hate to say you're right, but, oh, you know you're right. Uh, Chris, uh, until next <laughs> week, where can everybody find you? You always find me on Facebook.com backslash Chris Bass, C-H-R-I-S, B is in broadcasting, A-S-E. Got a new pickup there. It's me with a nice uh, uh, lid, a nice hat on my head. I got a lot of compliments about that. So you'll find me up there with sunglasses and a nice, a nice brown hat. Yeah, and next week, hopefully, you'll see me without glasses, as this week is going to be very interesting with an optometrist visit. Uh, until next time, though, Chris, thank you so much for joining me on the Weekend Review. Oh, not a problem. Always look forward to it. Thank you so much. Hey, for everybody else, go to the website, shaggycheekins.com. Follow us on social media. Till next time, love you, mean it. Gate in, bye. We are out.